I would encourage you, if you'd like to, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we'll be today, and there is a Bible app event for this. What that means is if you have a smartphone and you have the Version Bible app, you click the menu and look for an event near you, and you'll see the outline, some of the text there as well, and that can be helpful to you if you like that sort of thing. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read probably six or eight verses from there in a little bit. So a number of years ago, and this is quite some time ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, a guy about love. Um, not because I talk to guys about love, <laughs> but often guys who are struggling or even um, wondering what's going on in their love life, they just need someone to talk to. And often I'm that guy. I wasn't his pastor. He was uh, at a remote location, but uh, I guess I was someone safe for him to talk to. And he was considering his, his dating options. He was a little bit older, and uh, he said to me this. He says, Steve, you know, at, at my age... Most women already have children. And then he said this. That's not a bad thing. I don't hold that against them. But the fact is, I don't believe that I could love a child who wasn't my own. Now, some of you are like, what? And some of your mouths hanging like, huh? Well, let me just say two things about that. Number one, if he feels that way, then he needs this sermon, right? And I kind of tried to help him understand that that was not a biblical viewpoint on love. It might be the viewpoint that a lot of people in this world that we live in have, but it is not the viewpoint that God has, nor is it the viewpoint he wants us to have. And God's opinion concerning love probably should hold some gravity in our life because God is love. And he would probably want to correct that outlook. The second thing I want to say about that is that that young gentleman probably shouldn't marry anyone (laughs) until his perspective changes radically. He shouldn't even marry a woman who doesn't have children because if he can't get his heart in line with loving a child, I can tell you pretty surely he'll have trouble keeping his heart in line with loving one woman because love can be hard at times. Love can be extremely difficult to manifest. If you don't believe that, check with someone like my wife. She'll clue you in. People can be hard to love. You see, there are certain qualities in love that you can't take out, certain characteristics that are simply inseparable from love. But you won't find, generally speaking, those qualities of love in movies. I mean, you might watch a movie, boy sees girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, and it probably won't include these qualities of love that I'm going to speak to you about today. You don't find them in movies. You definitely will not find them in romance novels. I've not read any romance novels, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to find these qualities of love in those publications, nor will you find them in sitcoms, generally speaking. They are foreign to pop culture, and yet... These qualities are, they were in, they're what make love real. These qualities I'm going to speak to you about are what make love last. <laughs> they are what make love love. And without these qualities, love <laughs> is not really love. You find them in the Bible. You see them in God, in his nature, in his character. And it would appear that you can find them in the man we're going to be speaking about today, a man named Joseph who was a fiancé of a woman named Mary. So let's read these verses. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 18, reading through 25. Please follow along silently as I read. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, let's think for a minute. Let's just think about this for a moment from Joseph's perspective. I would guess that if you're more than a couple of decades old, that you have, you've seen something like this happen to someone that you know. Something like Joseph thought was happening to him has probably happened to a friend of yours or a family member of yours, or maybe to you yourself. Maybe you knew a couple who were engaged to be married and one of them did something they should not have done. And uh, the outcome was something like our story today. How'd that end up? Probably not the way this has ended up. (laughs) I mean, the couple probably did what Joseph had in mind to do at the beginning, with one exception. Things probably got nasty. I'm guessing that the Joseph in your story didn't respond by not wanting to subject the Mary in your story to any public disgrace. It probably got ugly. But the story in this text is not like that at all. It's different in many ways. Joseph has in mind to put this failed engagement behind him as quietly and as gently as possible. I wonder why. I mean, why doesn't his story at this point in its progression, why isn't it unfolding the way maybe stories that you have experienced along these lines or have witnessed along these lines unfolded? And I want to suggest to you It might be because Joseph had an understanding of love that not everybody has. Now, when I'm talking about this kind of love, I'm not talking about simple romance. I'm not talking about childish passions or immature passions. I'm talking about, when I'm talking about love, I'm talking about a person being committed to someone else and being committed to something above themselves so that they're engaged in some actions of love that may seem surprising. Do you hear I use that word committed a couple times? Commitment. (laughs) It's an important word. An important word when you're talking about love. In fact, I would say to you that love is inseparable from commitment. Commitment. Do you ever watch the musicians on the platform playing and have this thought, man, I wish I could do that? Wish I could play the guitar like Drew does. Wish I could play the drums like Andy. I wish I could play the bass. I wish I, I wish, man, I wish I could do that. Chances are you might have tried. Some of you have tried that. Maybe you bought a guitar when you were younger. Maybe you got the books or watched videos and you took some lessons and then you learned maybe one of two things happened. Perhaps you learned that you don't have a musical bone in your body <laughs> and you can't carry a tune and it doesn't make any sense to you at all. But that's probably not the case. 
Probably the case is that you, you didn't stick with it long enough to become good at it because you didn't have the, what's the word? Commitment to follow it through. We all like, we all admire commitment. In sports, in academics, in the workplace, you see an athlete and you hear them say, he has a very high work ethic. And what they're saying in that all too often used phrase is that he's really committed to his job and to his profession and to his craft. We value commitment everywhere. We absolutely should value it in human relations, absolutely in a relationship between a husband and a wife. Commitment is absolutely is actually rather inseparable from success. In almost every field, it's inseparable from success. Uh, for example, well, <laughs> the field of love. It's very inseparable from love. Without commitment, marriage will fail. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things here, and you might think, wait, what? But it's true. It doesn't matter if you and your spouse have similar interests. If you are not committed to one another and to your marriage, you will fail. It doesn't matter if you and your spouse enjoy one another and he can really make you laugh and she just is such a good cook. If you are not committed to her and to your marriage, it will fail. It doesn't matter if you're both Christians. Did you hear that? It doesn't matter if you're both Christians, if you're not committed to one another and not committed to the marriage, it will fail. You might not get a divorce, but your relationship will fail. Because commitment is inseparable from love. Christmas speaks of commitment because when God chose to become a man and when he did become a man, he's demonstrating a commitment that there's no going back from. And he's entering into that, showing us what love is, reminding us that love is inseparable from commitment. The text shows us that commitment needs to be to a person. I mean, in verse 18, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with child uh, through the Holy Spirit. There's a pledge, and it's a mutual pledge. It just says that Mary was pledged to be his wife, but you know that every engagement is a mutual promise, a mutual pledge. What would you do if you were Joseph? I think a lot of people would just bail, and frankly, you'd have every right to do that, right? But there's this word that is in verse 18. Did you see it? It's right there. Pledged. Pledged. That's an engagement to be married. But in in that culture, scholars tell us that that was a much more binding promise than when you give a ring to a girl or when a boy gives a ring to you, ladies. That engagement in the time of Mary and Joseph was a strong commitment. In fact, it's probably safe to say that people in Mary and Joseph's days took their engagement promise their engagement pledge more seriously than many people do take marriage in our day. It was a solemn binding pledge that they took, a commitment, a promise. Joseph was bound by that pledge. He was bound by that promise and he was committed. Now surely he was hurt, maybe even angry, but his response shows no hint of anger. I mean, you don't see him retaliating. You don't see him having a desire to teach her a lesson. In fact, the second part of verse 19 says that Joseph did not want to expose her to public disgrace. had in mind to divorce her 
quietly. Remember, at this point, there's been no dream. There's been no angel show up to say, hey, cool your jets, buddy. Don't be so angry. Hasn't happened at all. But somehow or other, Joseph is doing something that a lot of us wouldn't do. He decides to handle this quietly. And in so doing, he acts in love. And I have to wonder if part of that sense of commitment is the idea that he'd made a pledge and that that played into his decision. We don't know. But what we do know is a little bit of Joseph's heart. And in that, we can see a genuine commitment to do the right thing. He's not just committed to Mary. She's broken a huge vow as far as he's concerned. She really hasn't, but he doesn't know that. Perhaps a weightier factor is his sense of right and wrong. Verse 19 shows us he's a God-fearing man. I mean, in the English Standard Version, it says he's a just man. Another translation says he's righteous. Another translation says he is faithful to the law. Bottom line, he's committed to do the right thing. This is Joseph. And he believed that the right thing was to avoid making a scene and to end this engagement as quietly and as gently as possible. Sometimes love is the rugged choice to do the right thing. By the way, when I see him behaving in this gentle way and in this caring way and in this uncharacteristic way or a way that is uncharacteristic of most people, I see that he is kind of reflecting the image of his creator, of God. Because this is the way that God behaves toward you and me, with a love that is unbreakably tied to commitment. He is committed to people, this God of ours. He is committed to you. He is committed to do the right thing, and doing the wrong thing is out of the question for God. In the Hebrew Scripture, what we call the Old Testament, in Isaiah 49, the people feel like God has forgotten them. They have sinned. They have sinned greatly, and they feel like we messed up for sure. The the contract or the covenant that God made with Abraham, clear back in Genesis 12, that's got to be expired. I mean, that's got to be canceled. But in Isaiah 49, God says otherwise. It says in verse 14 of Isaiah 49, but Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. How magnificent is it that those words I have engraved you on the palms of my hand were written some seven centuries before God really did that by allowing the nails to pierce his hands. It is a love that is made of commitment. Commitment to you as a person, commitment to doing the right thing. And God is committed to you. He's committed to me. Regardless of our faithfulness or our faithlessness, he has made a commitment to you and me. He's committed to you individually and personally. And while Joseph may have had in mind to put Mary away, the King James would say, to divorce her quietly, God had no intention that Joseph should do that. And God has no intention to put you away or divorce you quietly. He is committed to you as a perfect fiancé who has promised never to break his pledge. 
He is committed to you as a perfect groom to a bride. And he's committed to you because he loves you. And he's committed to you because being committed to you in his mind is the right thing to do. And so he pursues you. And so he walks with you. And so he stands in your corner and he will not forsake you. He loves you. And love is inseparable from commitment. Okay, number one, love is inseparable from commitment. Number two, love is inseparable from compassion. In fact, love is a matter of compassion. It's a matter of compassion because love is never rash. When I say rash, I'm not talking about that thing you get when you, uh, you know, are around something that causes you an allergy, right? I'm talking about a decision that you made that was impulsive. Compassion is never impulsive. A crime of passion, that's something that's rash. It's acting on an emotion that later you will regret having acted upon. But an act of compassion is almost certainly something you will never regret. Compassion always, always involves kind of seeking God and thinking things through. Consider for a moment some people in the Bible who behaved in a manner that was rash. Let's think about Moses. Moses takes this rod and he strikes the rock and he regretted doing so. Let's think about one of the judges. How about Jephthah? Jephthah is told to go out and, and defeat the enemy of the God's people, of God's people. And, and he, he says, I promise that if God gives me victory here, I will sacrifice to the Lord whatever comes out to greet me from my village when I come back. What a foolish, foolish, foolish promise. His daughter came out and he regretted. <laughs> he regretted that rash vow that he made. Peter, he's almost everybody's favorite of the disciples, right? You know why? Because he's rash. <laughs> Just like I'm rash, maybe just like you're rash. And when he arrogantly claimed that he was better than all the other disciples, even if everyone else denies you, I never will, he lived to regret that statement. <laughs> None of those stories have real love in them, you understand. Because love is never rash. Love is compassionate. In Matthew 1, Joseph is not acting in a rash manner. He thinks things through. In fact, verse 20 begins with the words, after he had considered this, and that word considered mean he'd given it some thought, he pondered this. He didn't hear that she was expecting and immediately go straight down to the magistrate and cancel his wedding and go over and whatever the fellowship hall or the, the, the auditorium was and everything like, cancel the rabbi, cancel it all, cancel it all. He didn't do that. He thought about how should I handle this situation? And that is what compassion does. That's what love does. Love is actually open to a paradigm shift. It's open to an adjustment in perspective. Love never says, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Love never says, talk to the hand. Never says that. I think I'm going to make this my Facebook profile pic. What do you think? That would be loving, wouldn't it? You see, love considers people, considers outcomes, considers the repercussions, and as Joseph is considering the best way to handle Mary's news, look at what happens in the rest of verse 20. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I've often wondered, how did Joseph, how was it that Joseph took that dream to be representative of the truth? Because I've had some dreams that are just crazy, you know? How did he do that? 
Maybe a couple things. I'm guessing the angel was pretty, pretty persuasive and pretty convincing, right? Maybe the other thing is that Joseph just had a heart of compassion. He was kind of leaning that way to begin with because of his heart of compassion. We don't know, but we do know he is a compassionate man. And by the way, God is compassionate toward you. The book of Lamentations was written by a man named Jeremiah. I've never heard a pastor say this. I've never heard a pastor say, God, give me a ministry like that of Jeremiah because his ministry was terrible. It was painful. It was laborious. It was torturous. You want to be Elijah or Elisha. You don't want to be Jeremiah or Isaiah. Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations. And in that book, he says these words. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Compassion. It is inseparable from love. And I will say this to you about God. That when you go to him, trusting him with your confession and talk to him about what's really going on in your life and the real struggles that you may be having. He accepts you. In fact, he doesn't care what you've done when you have confessed it to him. Raccoons, rats, and Satan. Those are the ones that mess around in yesterday's garbage. God doesn't go there. And he doesn't need you going there when you have come to him. Because he treats you with this compassion. He's not focused on that thing that every time you think of it, it brings you a sense of shame. He's not interested in that and he doesn't want you to be interested in it either. He is not stuck ruminating over your moral failings, your sin. He let that go. And he never behaves with you in a rash manner. He doesn't strike you like Moses struck the rock. He doesn't make crazy crazy ideas and and promises like Jephthah made. He doesn't speak arrogantly like Peter, making claims that just aren't true. He turns to you always and embraces you. When you confess your sin to him, he removes your shame. He takes away your guilt. He forgives you. He covers you. He loves you. And that is because love is inseparable from compassion. It's an amazing thing, this love. Number one, love is inseparable from commitment. Number two, it is inseparable from compassion. And number three, love is inseparable from action. I don't know what kind of a man of action Joseph was. You know, there are guys who say, I'm a man of action. He was a carpenter, and I don't think carpenters are always men of actions because they measure twice, cut once. You know, I'm not a carpenter because I cut twice and measure never, right? I'm a man of action. That would be me, right? But whether he was a man of action or not, Joseph took action here because he was acting in obedience and in love. And love understands what's at stake. And that's why love acts, because it understands what's at stake. God let Joseph know that salvation of humankind is in the work. There's a lot that's on the line here, Joseph, with Mary's pregnancy. And so he sends this angel, and the angel says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, which, by the way, means salvation. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's a pretty big mission that this child is going to carry out, Joseph. It's an important thing that's going on here. Take action because you know what's at stake. 
By the way, there are those who might think that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up because they thought he was going to be the savior who would save his people from the Roman military oppression. That is not what it says. That was not on their mind. From the time he was conceived, Joseph understood what was at stake, and it's bigger than any military oppression. It's the salvation of humankind. And Joseph is on board with this. He does what the angel tells him to do. He takes Mary to be his wife, and he names that baby Jesus, just like the angel instructed him to. There are a lot of reasons he did this, but I think that Moses had some awareness that humankind had a deep need. And rather than to hate his fellow man, he was like, yeah, I'll do this. I will do this. He took action because he understood that action is inseparable from love. Joseph understood that humankind was at stake and so was God's reputation. God's reputation is at stake. Um, If you think about it, he cared about God's reputation. Remember when it talks about him earlier in a passage, it says that he was faithful to the law. That's what the ESV says. Another translation says he was righteous. He was a just man. He cared about God and he wanted to honor God. And God had promised again and again since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, God has been promising the whole way through the Bible, right up until this dream now that Joseph has, God has been promising, I will redeem humankind, I will save humankind. And if that doesn't happen, God is a failure at best and a liar at worst. It's not that it depends on Joseph, but Joseph gets to play a role in what God is doing, keeping a promise. And God's reputation is important to Joseph. He's willing to help. He's willing to take action that honors the God he loves because love and action are inseparable. Spirit of God has Matthew pen the words that begin in verse 22 when Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife, but they did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. That was God's plan. God's plan, his purpose, his action. And God's action is inseparable from his love. And Joseph gets to be a part of it. Love. Even though it's the topic of our conversations, even though Hallmark is flooding my dish network system with not one, but two channels of Hallmark movies, so I can watch two at once, picture in picture, if I wanted to. Even though it's in our music all the time, on the radio, You'd think the world would have had enough of silly love songs, wouldn't you? Not the case. Even in our lives, in our conversation, we talk about love. And yet, I would say to you that it's terribly misunderstood. And I would say to you that the words of the gentleman I spoke about earlier in the passage, or in the sermon rather, when he said, I don't know if I could love that person. Or maybe that attitude is a little more commonplace than we're aware of. Because we errantly think that love has to have feelings. And I just don't feel anything for you anymore. I just don't feel anything for her. I just don't feel, I don't feel. Love often has feelings when it does. What a blessing that is. But love is not fundamentally tied to feelings. Love is inseparably tied to commitment. It is inseparably tied to compassion. And it is inseparably tied to action. 
God came to love. And He calls us to love. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I would say first, you make a commitment to others and you make a commitment to what is right. So you love people who are near you and you love people who are different than you. You love people with different political viewpoints than you have. You love people who have different religious viewpoints than you have. You love people that have different perspectives on gender than you have, on sexuality than you have. You love. You love because you choose to do the right thing. And God loves. He loves all of us. And he's doing the right thing as he does that. So first, it's a choice. You make a commitment to do the right thing. You make a commitment to others. Second, you allow the Spirit of God, who if you are a believer, dwells inside of you, you allow him to arouse within you compassion toward others. People often say to me, I really have trouble, I really have trouble loving people from, who are involved in Islam, Muslims. I really have trouble with that. I understand that. 9-11 changed everything, didn't it? Everything. So I get that. <laughs> so God, if I'm going to have compassion toward that particular group of people, or if I'm going to have compassion toward this individual or that person in my workplace, or if I'm going to have compassion toward this kid that, that's in my school with me, how, how am I going to have that compassion? And, and I would say to you, start by praying for them. Just start by saying, God, help, help them. I would say to you, get to know them and sit with them. Befriend them. I'm going to make this really generic so you don't know who or what. When I was uh, in a foreign country, a gentleman came up to me from a country in Africa. And he said, because of my Christian faith, I can't go back there, but I'm not welcome here because of my Christian faith. And I'm going to be sent back to where I'm not welcome. And what awaits me is prison. Wow. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. Or put yourself in the shoes of the individual who maybe they've received a dream from God about Jesus. And that happens all the time. It's like it is the miracle of choice that God happens to be doing globally, that he gives people dreams about Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, and then they seek the truth. It just happens like crazy. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who believes the wrong thing, has that dream, realizes they need to turn to Jesus, but knows that that's what this will, this will, this will mean. This will mean my wife will want to leave me and she'll be justified in doing so. This will mean I can no longer rear my children. This will mean I can't even go to the barber shop anymore. It'll mean that I can't, I can't work where I work. I will lose my job. I will lose everything if I convert to Jesus. Put yourself in those shoes for a minute and see if that helps the Spirit of God arouse a little compassion in your heart. Or think about what it's like to sit at the lunch table alone. Put yourself in those shoes for a minute. And God will arouse some compassion that might move you to say, hey, let's go over and sit with Willis here to some of your buddies. You see, if you want to love, you will choose to make a commitment to others and to what is right. And if you want to love, you will choose to be compassionate to others and you will act it out. You will do what God is telling you to do. It's just part of being human and following Jesus. It is what Jesus did for us. He chose to love you and me. And look at the outcome. Does it not feel good to be loved by him? Don't you wish everybody had this? 
I do. I want to pray that we would be men and women who would choose to love. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. Let's bow our hearts. God, it absolutely amazes us when we are, again, made aware of the great love that you demonstrated to us when you sent Jesus in the flesh, that you chose to, that you chose to reach us, that you chose to love us, that you proclaimed to us what you offered us, and that you launched a movement, you launched our very lives to follow you, to be different, to have a sense of fullness in our very being. I would pray that as we consider the great love that you showed us this Christmas season, that we would bathe in it, that we would soak in it like a bubble bath, that we would wrap ourselves up in your love like our favorite blanket, our favorite pair of blue jeans, that we would sense your nearness in a very clear way and sense your good favor that is upon us, not because of what we have done, but because of Jesus and what he has done. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart and trust Jesus, having turned away from our sins, we have this close, vital relationship with you. This holiday season, this festive season, may we sense that. And may we share that in whatever ways you have for us. Why would we hoard such a beautiful thing? Show us how to do that so that you would be honored, so that we would be doing the right thing, so that we would show compassion, so that what we have in our life would not be love that is a counterfeit, but would be genuine love, like your love. This is what we pray in Christ's name. Amen.